0: good morning everyone welcome to Soma Community Church where we are I like to call it weeks away from the Christian Super Bowl where we have the greatest victory ever every time we already know the outcome that Jesus will arise Uh, we are weeks away from Easter and we have plans And and the big one is for Good Friday, we will be back where we were uh, before COVID hit. We're gonna meet that Friday night on the upper upper room in the the patio on the Boulevard. The names change though, so you get to tell everyone you're going to happy hour. (laughs) The name of the place is the Happy Hour Bar and Grill. So we will be up there singing and praising Jesus Uh, While the people downstairs are wondering what the heck's going on But it'll be a great time for us to go up and celebrate in that upper room cramped and everything just like kind of like they did all those years ago So I'm looking forward to that and then of course we will have our Easter message here that Sunday Um, Where are we going to go today? We're going to cover Isaiah 54 1 through 10. And what we're going to look at today that, that God has spoken through Isaiah is, is interesting because after each of the four servant songs, God has offered a response. So after the first two, um, the passages that followed, talked about the divine confirmation of the servant um, and, and saying that his tasks... Are confirmed and then the promise of his success in those tasks now the third and fourth servant songs what the follow-up passages are invitations to respond to the servant and so chapters 54 and 55 cover that response to the fourth servant song many divine acts are spoken of in these two chapters But the only human responses are in 54 that are foretold here. And by foretold, I mean they are acts that will occur. They're not suggesting they occur, they will occur. Um, God's people will sing. we see that in 54.1. And then they will enlarge the tent, we see in 54.2. So we see in the fourth servant song, we saw Jesus did everything. There's nothing we did. There's nothing left to do. He removed sin. He established in us righteousness. And, that, and now He is bringing together this new family. So hearing of and seeing that forever there will be no more sin and perfect peace and love, Um, naturally we will all sing as we prepare to enjoy the coming feast now the feast is in chapter 55 jesus's great work accomplished two great feats not only did he bring the divine truth of salvation to us gentiles but he restored a remnant of israel so now we're at a place where the servant has willingly accomplished his mission, and now in chapter 54, he is comforting his people, Israel. Now Israel's not named here, but the themes of this gathering family in this land being enlarged gives us a picture that a bunch of Gentiles, us, have been adopted. And we are heading over to see our new brothers and sisters, and then we will be living with them forever. 54 speaks of enlarging the tents and promises that we will experience eternal love and peace. And then chapter 55 is going to show us who will dwell in those tents. 54 and 55 are the final final chapters in Isaiah then a section that talks about the servant. That covered chapters 38 through 55. And then part of that section of the servant is our view of him in a smaller snapshot and that of Jesus as the greater deliverer. And that was from 49 to 55. Once we hit 56, we're going to focus on the great anointed conqueror 54 has three patterns that cover one the family and that's verses 1 through 5 two, marriage in 6 through 10 and then something we won't cover today but the city in 11 through 17 so we're going to cover the first two patterns and since this is a response to the fourth servant song, or chapter 53, we're going to see two of the key words in the fourth servant song here. We're going to see the word many, which we saw in 52, 14 and 15, and then in 53, 11 and 12. And now it refers to many more sons of the barren woman. And second, we're going to see seed or offspring. And we saw that in 53.10. The offspring are now the seed or descendants of Zion. So we will see the results of the servants' incredible work start taking shape in what we can call in verses 1 through 5 as the miracle family, the miracle family. We're going to see three commands in verses 1 through 5. So the miracle family has three commands. The first one, the first command covers verse one, and it says, have joy, have joy. And examples are we have a barren woman singing and the abundant number of children. Second command we see in verses two and three, expand because growth is coming. Expand because growth is coming. Verse 2 starts adding on for this family. And 3 says the offspring, or the seed, will possess the nations. 3, the third command we're going to see covers verses 4 and 5. Confidence for the future is the third command. Have confidence for the future. Verse 4 says the past is over. And 4 through 5 says the future... Is secured by an almighty husband, creator, and redeemer. Then in 6 through 10, we're gonna see the marriage return to the original state and the eternal covenant of love and peace. It's gonna take place in the following Verse 6 the broken marriage will be restored. 7, compassion will conquer the abandonment eight love will overcome hate and then nine is the promise to never again display wrath and then 10 will close this passage and give us the eternal covenant of love and peace so let's look at the passage Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. For you, for who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. And strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For the Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to lift you up today. When we see you in this passage, everything you've done for us, your great work that you willingly performed has provided this place for us that we will live forever with no sin, no guilt, no shame, but eternal peace and love with your compassion. We can never say enough and we can never know till we're there what this great love looks like. But we thank you so much for just loving us enough to have this ready for us. We love you. Amen. All right. Verses one through five, the miracle family. And the command there is have joy. We are commanded to have joy. It doesn't start off so good, does it, when you hear it says, Sing, O barren one, you who do not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of who is married. Singing and being in song is a symbol here, that someone has been blessed and it is because of someone else's efforts. Someone has been blessed and it's been because of someone else's efforts. And As I was going over this week, I thought how appropriate that we are seeing this at this time with how some has been blessing those of us in the church and also family and friends with the gas gift cards I am sure if you gave somebody one that you saw how appreciative they were. Maybe they didn't sing right when you gave it to them, but that could be a good thing. Um, But they were so thankful and probably even joyous, you know, because a lot of the people I, I know couldn't have done this for themselves. So this was something they could not provide in the moment. And because of someone else's efforts, they were blessed now maybe after seeing their their gauge at full or close to full maybe they sing in their car all by themselves i know i got text messages and 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 dms i don't usually check dms and social media but i got some of people just telling me how grateful they were and in some cases the timing was perfect like you know like maybe the holy spirit had something to do with it Um, and that's just a little picture Of what we're seeing here so imagine the joyous singing and loud praising as we enter into this to this area this forever this greater gift and we provided nothing for it nothing also the image we're given in here is this of a barren woman singing and this is interesting because you know in the Old Testament we see the unhappiness and the shame of of women uh, when they could not bear children. And I don't remember ever reading, as we see any of the women in the Old Testament that struggled with this, ever being comforted by one of their sister wives. In fact, it it was quite the opposite. They all took great joy in the fact that they could bear and the other one couldn't. So we're just thinking of initially like of Sarah, of Hannah and Rebecca, all struggled with this and this is not something that women today can't understand there's that struggle still today but we see here god is acted by his servant's obedience and his seed and the word offspring here will become the barren woman's children and the contrast we need to see here is not between someone who has no chance of ever having, I'm sorry, the contrast we need see here is someone who has no chance of having children. She is barren, she has no husband, there is no one providing care and support. And the view, this view is against someone who is in that typical arrangement and in a place where she has a husband and has the means to, to be fruitful and multiply. So the picture we're getting is this singing woman, or maybe even women, who is barren, never bore a child, never has gone through labor, but now she is preparing joyfully, getting ready to gather in a family. This cannot be even explained to us in human terms. We just can't get this. And her children are going to be more than the woman who was bearing children. And of course, this for us is a picture of the church. This, God's people are created by this supernatural birth. The second command we see are in verses 2 and 3. Expand. Expand because growth is coming. Verse 2 tells us to start adding on in preparation for this family and verse three says the offspring will possess the nations Two, enlarge the place of your tent let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out do not hold back lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people desolate, I mean, people and will people the desolate cities. No mistake why we are seeing pictures of a tent life here it is a picture, no doubt, that God put in here intentionally to remind the people of when they walked with him through the wilderness. And Jeremiah 2, 2 and 3, Jeremiah 2, 2 and 3 says, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Isaiah is telling us that the Messiah, Jesus, will reign in a tent, will reign in the tent of David meaning Jerusalem. And in Isaiah 33:20, we see Jerusalem described as that immovable tent. Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feast, your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up. That's a whole sermon right there on Jerusalem. And in Amos 9, 11, we see a verse on the rebuilding of the Davidic tent, or you could say booth, like this verse does. And, and this is in regards to the restoration of Israel. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness... They were exclusively with God, and that's the picture they want to show us now. They walked, they moved when he commanded. He provided the uh, cloud and, and the fire for them to follow. He provided food, he provided water. They were solely dependent on him. He is showing his people that, you know what, you will be under my care again. Enlarge and stretch shows us that God's people will be making preparation for their incoming new family members. We are crashing the party, folks. All this will work will be done in full confidence, knowing that God will be the one spreading abroad to the right and the left. God's people experienced growth against all odds while they were in Egypt. They were fruitful and multiplied. The Egyptians did all they could do to slow the growth and stop them from growing, but it didn't happen. God in his power increased their numbers. Your offspring will possess the nations. This phrase occurs several, in several parts of the Old Testament, like in Exodus 34:24, For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Deuteronomy 9.1 Deuteronomy 9.1 Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations. Deuteronomy 11.23 Then the Lord will drive out the nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. And in Joshua 23 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. In Psalm 2 8, the Davidic king is promised the nations as his inheritance. It says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Ask at the ends of the earth your possession. So we are seeing a picture here of the holy promise between God and Jesus. And it's a glimpse of a smaller promise that was made to Abraham given Canaan. Abraham was promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and the nations of Canaan would would soon be removed, so they would take that over. The third command we see here is in verses 4 and 5, confidence for the future. Confidence for the future. Fear not. These are two great words, right? This, they start off these verses. They start off the verses for four and five. And God tells us why we are to fear not, right? With four fours. I love that. Four fours. It says the first one, for you will not be ashamed. For you will not be disgraced for you will forget the shame of your youth and for your maker is your husband so the four fours and and what is god doing here i really believe he's trying to cover all the bases um, to ensure that we know we are worthy and we don't need to feel inadequate In any way now and especially when we get ready to enter into that land and because the reason is and we talk about this quite often think about your life now and you get that little voice every now and that whispers to you and says you know what you are not worthy you have no business being what you are and it brings up all the failures in your life right and it says you know what you will never measure up to Jesus but now even knowing this, you can, you can say, I don't need to listen. I know my Savior, that awesome servant, willingly died for me, for all my sins, and has promised, to, has promised to all. His promises are to all. And he who called me, he is the one that's worthy. And he loves me, and I will be with him forever. And I will never be ashamed, nor will I be disgraced. And the helpful is when we look and we really focus on Jesus, we will grow in our faith and knowledge of Jesus and we will know his promises. And we will still have those tough moments because that voice isn't going to go away. That little soundtrack is not going to leave. But the stronger we grow, the more we know of his commands and his promises. We can quickly defeat it and put it to bed. And then we can sit there and rejoice in the knowledge of what's coming in the future. This land, this new land, will have no sin and a huge family to sing in it. And what I know is the more people you have, the better the singing is, so I can't wait. I'm going to sound great. And then one more time, the entire past will be gone finished and gone it will be finished and you can keep your joy and keep on singing John 16 says so also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one let me repeat that no one will take your joy from you and the good news is the Savior is our husband He made a people that were not considered his people. So we, as Gentiles, now see we are his people. Jesus is the Holy One of Israel and is our Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. Now 6 through 10. 6 says, The broken marriage restored. The broken marriage restored. Six says, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. The four in verse six links one through five with six to ten. This link will also start to explain the reference of Jesus as our husband. The verb has called you means it will happen with perfect certainty. And understand, this means like we saw in the fourth servant song, this is past tense, meaning it has happened. The work of Jesus and the former separation from God has been bridged. Like a wife deserted and grieved, gives us the picture of a pain of a wife married as in a young age would feel as she has been deserted she's got young children to take care of and no resources especially in that day there was nowhere to go file and get supplemental care you had nothing the point here is there's not anyone to blame but it's to see the pain and worry she would experience living in this scenario. And Isaiah 51-3 gives us a picture of God justly sending us away. I say justly for our sins, but we are still set at heart. A wife of her youth when she is cast off, this young wife gives us a picture of a young married couple, Right? all their youthful passion their great dreams for the future everything being planned as they're living in this new role of husband and wife so exciting and then flashing forward he's gone and she's alone and struggling but here now God says he will renew the relationship with his people through his great love and especially through the work of the servant Jesus and we get a picture of that renewal right one of the toughest chapters to read because you know Hosea did something I'm not sure I would want to but in Hosea 3 1 it says and the Lord said to me go again love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel though they turn to other gods So we see God's determination to restore this love with Hosea and his adulterous wife is an example of his undying love and passionate devotion to us, his people. One of the best parts, says your God here, says your God. With a great final touch of assurance, God brings his people back to him, we witness God's unchanging love. And then God says, I am yours. There's a lot of power in those words right there. He is ours. Seven through nine. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my feet face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, and will not rebuke you. 7 through 9 gives us Three assurances, three assurances in seven through nine. The first one in verse seven, compassion will conquer abandonment. Compassion will conquer abandonment. Eight, love will overcome hate. Love will overcome hate. And nine, God's promise to never again display his wrath. And seven through nine contain three distinct words for assurance. In seven and eight, in and seven and eight, these two uh, are linked by the word moment. And the third is linked in eight and nine, and that's anger and angry. So we see in verse seven, it says, "For a brief moment, we were deserted," and in verse eight, God had overflowing anger for a moment these verses show us that God had real anger and it was justified he had real anger and it was justified but it was momentary that's the key word and the other realities we're going to see though um, the other realities like compassion like everlasting love are here now and they are not momentary they are permanent the punishment that Jesus took for us has brought us these permanent realities of love and compassion and these things that happen momentarily they were brief because God has reconciled us back to him and this great compassion the word they use there this love overflowing In my mind, you see something great on Earth, something the great we can think about. So you think about a great waterfall like Niagara Falls. And that massive waterfall is nothing in comparison with the overflowing love that God has for us. God is saying he still loves us and he's going to gather us to him. And the good part is it's forever. And that's just one of those statements you want to sit there and just think about and let it sink in. That God still loves us and wants to gather us to him forever. And in verse 8 we see brief anger. Brief anger is contrasted with endless love. God had a burst of anger. And everlasting love is just that. God's forever unfailing love. Your Redeemer makes, means Jesus, and it says that He has taken our great debt, debt, suffered the wrath for us, all His incredible work that was done for us by a great love, like I said earlier, that we cannot fully know the magnitude of it, but one day we will know that great love in an instant and we'll get to experience it forever. Verse 9, here we get an idea of not just the seriousness of divine wrath or anger that we saw in verse 8, but in verse 9, we see the debt in our account, but it has been settled forever. And the great part is, is we owe nothing. After the flood, God made a promise to the world that he would no longer flood the earth. He would never do that again. The beginning of the verse says, this is like the days of Noah to me. And actually, actually, it's a better read if it says like this, for the waters of Noah is this to me. And I say that because we go over and over again how the repetition of words means something. Um, and in verse 9, we need to see this, because it's not, you could go either way with the translation, but it, it really, really brings it out and emphasizes the word waters and what it means there. God is pointing out to us the use of the word waters multiple times to, to really emphasize his judgment his act of judgment on the world in Noah's day. The flood satisfied his anger, and he promised to never flood the world again. The declaration of peace after the flood was not leniency, but it was his justice satisfied. In this passage, anger is totally satisfied, totally satisfied, and never to be seen again. And how do we know we'll never see his anger again? Let's go to verse 10. Verse 10 will close out this passage and give us the eternal covenant of love and peace. 10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall never depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you that use of the word for offers a final explanation of the permanency verse 9 told us so as Noah's settlement led God promising to never let this happen again the servant's work has led to a covenant of peace forever in the world's judgment in noah's day the mountains disappeared and they were swallowed up by water so if you think about that not just read but think about that that picture is as horrid as it sounds when you realize how high the earth's mountains are and we don't even look like ants on them as climbing them They were covered with water in a little over a month. You get the picture of of how serious this flood was. And it was the worst judgment, I think, of all time until you get to the second advent. Psalm 46, 2 and 3 says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then we see steadfast love in verse 10. Throughout the Old Testament history, the divine covenant has always been linked to sacrifice. But this is a departure from the Old Testament sacrificial works and applies the servant's death on the cross brought the one true constant we all want. It's what we all want. Peace with God and to enjoy his steadfast love forever. God was satisfied with the servant and now has compassion on his chosen. Uh, he was not required to act at all after the servant's death on the cross. He alone chose to Love and end his wrath. He wanted to effect reconciliation with the Gentiles and, and bring in the Jews and seal a peace with his chosen. We saw in 5310, God was delighted in what occurred, and it demonstrated his love for his people. In Isaiah 54, 1 through 10 is an incredible true picture of what awaits God's people and God is telling us he loves us and is providing this incredible goodness forever our response to him back must be to praise him and that starts every day that starts every day honoring him in word prayer and then action If singing out his goodness to others is not an option, if you're not going to sing out in this life, every day greeting people like a uh, musical Oklahoma, you're not going to walk out and start singing about the Surrey with the fringe on top, then um, please share the good news about Jesus with others in action and in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just can never thank you enough for this section of Isaiah. How powerful it is. How it gives us that ultimate picture. So many years, so many years. And it's so succinct and and specific. We can never thank you enough for just assuring us and giving us that confidence. And then telling us we have nothing to be ashamed about. We have nothing to worry about. We are are your chosen people. You are our God. You are our maker. You are our husband. It's just incredible to see that. So help us in our weakness. Help us to grow stronger in you. And we just love you, and we will love you forever. Amen.